Welcome to the Not Tonight podcast, where we have bold conversations about sex in marriage. I'm Rachel. And I'm Caitlin. And we are two married women who believe that when we take the shame and secrecy out of sex, we open up the path to freedom. In each episode, we will elevate stories of women discovering their most authentic self by doing the work in their own sex lives. Join us as we hear from incredible women just like you who are discovering that the path to healing begins in the bedroom. Welcome back to the Not Tonight podcast. Today, we are here with the lovely Valley. Valley, thank you for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. Hi. Caitlin, do you want to share with us a little bit about how we know Valley? Yes. So Valley is a Mind Rebel Academy sister. We just spent last year in the same pod, you know, the same group. So we had a lot of yeah, experiences together over the last year. And Valley and I, I think it was the universe. We kept getting in, in our coach training program, they kept putting us in pairs. And every single time it was like the, the computer just decided to just paired you with someone. And every single time Valley and I kept getting paired together. So we got to know each other a little bit deeper during those conversations. And we had one conversation that stuck with me about her experience and her marriage and her story. And I I was absolutely captivated by it. And I was just like, I want to hear her story because it's unique. And she always has this wise perspective about her. Um, so I'm just so happy to have you here, your energy, your beautiful Valley smile. And um, yeah, thank you for being here today, Valley. What an intro. <laughs> Indeed, we were paired so much together. It was kind of strange. It, it did feel strange, but I kind of feel like it was meant to be because we were we were just meant to get to know each other a little bit on that next level. Um, so with that all being said, like with this episode in particular, I really want to know like the whole life story of Valley because you have you're really interesting. So well, let me set you up in this way. You, first of all, are located in Europe. You're in France right now, um, but originally from Greece, if I'm correct. And every time I talk to you, I feel like you're in a different country in Europe. Kind of. Kind of, that nomadic lifestyle. You have two grown children and yeah, you're a certified mind rebel coach now. And you're do, you do lots of things. So tell us a little bit more about you, Bailey. Okay, so. I'm a mom of two young men, 21 and 19 now, so officially an empty nester. They're both studying. We are a family that's been moving around. It's not that I'm nomadic myself. I love to travel. So this was like a life goal for me. So people were asking me, what do you want to do? You know, the interview questions, where do you want to be in five years time from now? This type of things and they were expecting for me to say a higher position i was saying a different country so that was the thing <laughs> if it had travel the job was perfect so it was mm -hmm. like i felt ashamed to ask but that was the thing that was interesting to me the most so i studied i i'm an athenian so i was born and raised in athens greece center center my father is also from the center of athens so i feel like grounded in the energy of athens but at the same time i had an, a kind of an atypical family 
Like my father was um, a lawyer by studies. He was working for the Bank of Greece. But at the same time, he was very unconventional, you know, beard, kind of a hippie thing. And <laughs> liberal left in his beliefs. The whole thing, like the, the influences from May 68, all, all this type of thing, Vietnam, the way it was coming to Europe. And Greece, when he was getting out of his studies, was just getting out of a dictatorship. So there was a you know whole movement behind them. And my parents met when they were studying. My mom was um, an economist, so she was studying economy. She studied economics and was working for the state, for the tax office. But she was a feminist. Like she was reading feminist books. She was she was very liberal. And as I said, she was in women's in the women's movement, very active, mm-hmm. um, like for liberalization of divorce, for you know these types of things, abortion rights. Very, very active. So I remember myself going to demonstrations, like Mm -hmm. ever since I was four, even violent Mm -hmm. ones, you know, with about those things, like about LGBTQ rights, about um, abortion rights, uh, the right of women to divorce uh, without uh, complications. It used to be very, very complex as a process. Mm -hmm. These types of things. And at the same time, you know, the rights of minorities, all this. So this was my environment where I grew up. And when I was finishing my school, uh, school, I met my husband now, mm-hmm. who was kind of older than me, nine years older. He was a very good friend of my cousins. Mm-hmm. And we started dating. And that was back in 89. Mm-hmm. I was like first year, second year of studying. And we've been together with ups and downs and, you know, ever since. Now we are a split family. So... I'm in France. Last year I was in Switzerland and in France, moving around. I've moved around with my job a lot. In one of those relocations, my family followed, in another, no. So I was two years in Morocco, working as a general manager for a technology company, and I was alone there. But another time they came. Now I left Greece because I couldn't, I didn't want to find a job there anymore. I have outgrown kind of the market. But I left corporate as well at the same time. So many changes during the last two, three years. I'm a psychologist by studies. I didn't exercise the profession for many, many years. I went into corporate. I became, you know, the the whole thing, step by step. All the things that you need to do to become successful, this type of thing. Until I found out that at the highest level, I was not happy at all. And Mm -hmm. I just dropped the ball. And I started doing my therapy training all again and coaching. And I'm a certified coach as well, together with Caitlin. Yes. (laughs) That is a lot. What a story, Valley. Oh, my goodness. I can't wait to dive in and hear some more specifics. It's a lot of movement, a lot of change. Yeah. Sounds like a lot of radical permission to be yourself and say yes to the things that matter in your heart. Yeah, things are happening and think and and we make other things happen ourselves. So, mm-hmm. but it's been it's been I'm fifty two. So yeah, life is happening and at the same time we make it happen. So, so I'm really interested in Valley because you I think on this season you're the only person that we have from Europe 
So, you know, I'm just so curious about the different types of attitudes and beliefs about sexuality. Um, so I guess the first question and, and your experience might be different than the culture you were raised in. So I guess I'd love to know how you grew up and like how you first kind of learned about sex. What was your experience of sexuality growing up? And was yeah. that within your family the same as the culture that you grew up in? My family. Yeah. What an interesting question. Okay. No, my family and my personal experience is not a hundred percent typical of the country. So mm -hmm. my, my country is Orthodox Christian. So this really defines their beliefs. So it's not as strict as Catholicism in the sexual beliefs, if you are familiar with that. But it is very prevalent, like 92-93% of the population, even more, are devout Christian, Orthodox Christians. And at least in their outside appearance, what they claim to be, um, they claim to be like um, abstaining from sex, uh, um, without, you know, this type of thing, that sex within marriage, it's not as a, in a kind of a fanatical, a fanatic way, but at the same time, there is this split in, of looking at females, like the, the virgin and the whore, this type of thing. Mm. Like females mm -hmm. are either, you know, your mother or a whore, this type of, mm -hmm. your, your mother, your sister. Family relationships are really, really closed and tight-knit. Families are tight-knit. So you kind of see females in, in this double, you have this double standard for, for females. Mm -hmm. Like this is a prevalent thing. That mm -hmm. said, the society is very liberal. So... There is a culture of going out, having fun, clubbing, drinking. We don't have this strict legislation around drinking. Mm. So, you know, that helps people loosening up from a young age. So the country has this kind of a double standard, not only in how it views females and female sexuality, but also in how they live, how people live their life. Mm -hmm. You know, like they, they try to show they are okay, decent, this type of thing. But when they go out, they really give it all. Mm -hmm. Now, when I grew up, it was a bit different. It was not, the European Union was not as established as a, mm -hmm. as a situation. So we were much more isolated as a country. Mm -hmm. Traveling was tough, you know, this, and we didn't have much outside the influence. It's also a very uniform society. So we don't have a lot of races. We didn't. There was no immigration. I think I saw a black person when I was 16, 17. The first black oh, wow. person I saw, like we didn't have anybody <laughs> that was black anywhere near where I was going around. So yeah, in general, a kind of a uniform society, very mm -hmm. tight family. My parents were speaking openly about sex. My father, not so much. My mother, more. Mm but in the sense of the female movement. Mm -hmm. So the, there was a, a combative quality to the way she was approaching sexuality. It was like, women should be able to do what they want. The, 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 their body is their own, this type mm -hmm. of thing. Mm -hmm. There was no pleasure around it. So it was a sexuality that was like an, an Amazon sexuality. So it sounds like, like more about power than pleasure. Is that accurate? Yeah, not mm -hmm. more about power than pleasure. 
only power, no pleasure. Mm. Mm. Because at the same time, this was the double message I was getting from my mother, that mm. sexuality was my right, my body was on to claim. And I will tell you an interesting anecdote about my own sexuality and my mother. The, the first message was, you can do whatever you like. You are a woman. You can do as men do, you know, this type of thing. Mm. But at the same time, it was your skirt is too short. <laughs> your skirt mm. is too short. People, we think you are asking for it. Mm-hmm. Mm. Or catcalling was prevalent, you know, to the utmost degree. So for my mom, that was a huge insult. Because people were looking at us as sexual objects. Mm-hmm. As if they wanted to take advantage. Like, if people looked at you sexually, it meant they wanted to take advantage of you. Mm-hmm. It's like if... A- a man had his way with you. These types of expressions were coinciding with the power of, you know, claiming your body. So yeah, I had yeah. these double messages that I had to to fend boys off when mm-hmm. they showed interest in me, while at the same time I didn't have a, a, a behavioral vocabulary on how to express mm-hmm. my own sexuality. Mm-hmm. Like if I liked mm-hmm. someone, what could I do? Mm-hmm. It was just I could be aggressive only, you know? Right. Really interesting. Yeah, that sounds very confusing to navigate. It was, it was. And at the same time, there was the school environment where some girls at 14, 15 had started to have their first sexual uh, relationships. And Mm -hmm. there was talk about it, you know, like whispers at school. And I was extremely curious and at the same time afraid of the process of losing my virginity. Like mm-hmm. I was imagining, you know, rivers of blood, pain, to the extreme, mm-hmm. these types of things. And I wanted to get to get it over with. So mm-hmm. my, yeah. my real motive was, I want to get rid of it quickly, as fast as possible, mm-hmm. like an operation. <laughs> like wow. having a tooth extracted. So I went to my mom, I was 14, and I said, Mom, when is the right age to have sex? And she she kept her cool and really she kept her cool because I could read her, but she she didn't lose it. And she said, whenever you feel ready and whenever it is your own desire. Mm. So I went and lost my virginity like two weeks later on purpose. And I thought, what a stupid thing that is. So there was no pleasure, nothing. I just went to a boy that I knew liked me and I actually bought him beer to drive things there so we get it over with. So when I left, there was no drama, no rivers of blood, no major disaster. It it was just completely a nonsense experience. I felt nothing. It was nothing. It was like, so that was it. Is this what they are talking about? What everybody is talking about, you know? It's not worth it. So I left this experience. The boy was writing notes to me like, I'm sorry, these types of things. And I want to be your sweetheart. And I was really avoiding him because I I never wanted to have sex again in my life. You know, like, I'm not going to lose time with this crap. And then I had sex at the end of high school. That was my first experience, just to get it over with. Wow. Oh my gosh, that is so powerful. Thank you for sharing that. I'm like, what do I ask first? I have so many questions. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay, so 
I'm the, I'm just going to repeat back some of the things I'm hearing from you. I was he- I'm hearing a lot of confusion going into this experience and a lot of fear. Was would you say that's accurate? Yeah, the the fear was completely like focused on the biology of things. Mm-hmm. Like completely focused on bleeding and uh, feeling pain. Mm-hmm. Only that. That was a fear. Okay. Okay, so those were fears. And then did those things happen in your experience? Nothing, nothing, nothing. Okay. Um, If I were in a different era, I would be considered not a virgin. I had none none of it. Mm. Okay, so having not experienced that which was scary to you, then what did you feel? Yeah, kissing was, was nice, but all the rest, my body was not awakened yet. So I, mm. I jumped into this experience, um, preparing myself mentally for something my body was not ready yet, mm. and my emotional world. So for mm-hmm. me, it was a process of growing up, like the things children do. Actually, it was a childish thing. If you think mm. about about it later, it was a complete, a, a very childish way to approach an adult thing. So mm. it's like mm-hmm. I want to jump from here. Like it was like I, I have to do this thing to be able to pass into adulthood. Mm-hmm. So I don't have it as a gap in my I don't know in my education. Mm, <laughs> I think it was a, yeah. something that was being discussed as, at school. Uh-huh. So you know, people were doing it and they were becoming older. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm. And it was my right, and I felt ready. You know, as my mom told me, and uh-huh. I didn't have to ask anybody about it. So when she told me about it, she failed to mention all the emotional part of it. Mm. And all the, everything that had to do with pleasure, with the awakening of your own body. So we didn't discuss this at all. She told me about it, you know, having sex being my power and my right, etc. And that it was not, it was nothing to be ashamed of. And, you know, mm-hmm. it just has to be your own desire. But for mm-hmm. me, I wasn't ready to understand the word desire. Mm-hmm. So for yeah. me, desire was, I want to drink water. You know, this, yeah. as shallow as that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. So when I got ready <laughs> at the end of high school, it was a completely different experience. Mm-hmm. And it was as if that was my first experience, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what was that like? What was the difference? That was with a fellow student, you know, we were going at the same school. We were both, because, okay, I had done it. So so I had this, um, how do you say, this kind of confidence, this pseudo-confidence that I, was, I knew what I was doing. But <laughs> of course, I knew nothing about it because the experience was completely different. And I didn't even remember what had happened when I was younger. So mm-hmm. the whole thing happened like, you know, like an accident in reality. So when we actually went there, we, we were both shy and conscious of our body. We were the same age and we were exploring and we had all this experience of looking for where, what goes where, you know, but together mm-hmm. and caressing. And so it was different then, but it was also mm-hmm. very shy at the same time in the sense of complete darkness 
Like I, I was ashamed of my body. So I was stress eating and I had gained weight and I didn't want anybody to see me. So we were just doing it, you know, blind in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> and every time there was a small ray of light, whatever, I was panicking. So this type of thing. So it was in the dark, but yeah, that was it. And then we were together with that guy for some time. Mm. He was my high school sweetheart, let's say. Mm. We don't have this expression, but I'm Americanizing mm. that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. We're familiar with what you mean when you say that. <laughs> wow. It sounds to me like, so there's obviously a lot of differences in those two experiences that you had. Uh, but something that's standing out to me is there were specific things that you knew you were and weren't comfortable with in that second experience. You were like, nope, lights out. Like, I don't want this. I do want that. And there was that caution, that exploration that probably felt a lot better than I've got to do this thing. And the whole body participated. And also, Mm -hmm. I felt okay with exploring the body of my partner. And at that, I had nothing in my upbringing had made any sexual act seem like bad, disgusting, distasteful. There was no faux pas. Everything went. So as long as both people wanted it. So Mm -hmm. in my second experience, and we had a relationship, there was exploration of different sexual acts as as well, and, you know, Mm -hmm. touching and everything. And there were no forbidden parts of the body or ways Mm -hmm. to have sexual intercourse. If you wanted at the time to do something and if it felt right, we were exploring it. Like kittens a little bit, like, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I would love to hear from you how that level of like exploration, curiosity translated when you met your husband and how that affected your sex life before you were married to him and then in your marriage with him. Uh, Then at at 19, I met my husband. He he was a friend of my cousin, so I felt comfortable around him. But when we had sex, he's older than me, nine years almost. So he was more experienced as well. And this showed. So the first time we had sex, I was even scared because this guy was looking at me. (laughs) Like really looking at me and my body. And I thought... I really thought I know him, but what if he's a serial killer? You know? <laughs> <laughs> really, I remember that. And we, we have laughed many times with this experience because he was looking at me. He was looking at my genitals, my breast, like, and I was not looking at them, you know, mm-hmm. in the mirror. So I had somebody staring, actually, at the mm-hmm. time of sex. That was so strange to me that mm-hmm. I couldn't even enjoy the... The, having sex in the first mm-hmm. times, so I was observing him, observed me. Mm-hmm. But with him, I, I, I became liberated in sex. Like, I, I learned my body much better. I turned on the lights. <laughs> mm-hmm. I felt very awkward uh, opening my mouth. I think it, it should have been for the poor guy as if he was being with a doll or a dead person, a sleeping beauty, because I was making no sound at all. So it took me a while to, to vocalize. And to vocalize, I mean to even say during the act what I wanted. 
Because mm-hmm. what I was doing was we were having sex and I was going with the flow. But if I didn't like something, I was letting it pass. Or, mm-hmm. you know, being patient so it will end. <laughs> and and the, or if I really wanted something, I didn't get the pleasure I I I knew I could get. I, I was not claiming it. So mm. I was not pretending, but I was not demanding it or asking for it. But I was asking for it later, you know, like the complaining wifey. But, but I was very embarrassed to ask for things. That, mm-hmm. And that took a long time. That happened even after I gave birth to my children. Because mm-hmm. I thought it was a lost cause after my point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I passed mm-hmm. a, a hugely asexual period. Like I wasn't asking for things. I got disappointed and had my children. So then I was not asking because I'm not going to get a strange thing in my mind. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it took a while, a long yeah. while, a very mm. long while. So yeah. where do you think, or what belief do you think was rooted in that I'm not going to ask for things? I think in my mind, I'm realizing I have something that really comes from my mother and the female movement, and I see it mm. coming back again. There was a thing about pornography, having ownership of the woman that is claiming sexual pleasure. Like, um, the woman that really likes it, really enjoys it, really asks for it, really goes after sex, was an image that was only associated with pornography in my mm. mind. So if I was, I, I was being a slut, but I don't have anything to say about, you know, anybody that is doing, even a, a woman selling herself for sex, she's a sexual worker. But for me, it was as if I was becoming another person. Like mm. my intellectual, grounded, sensitive self could not coincide with, you know, the, the wild, sexual, female, luscious, you know, mm. part of me. So I I was holding back a lot on in sex. I think I was associating it with pornography. What happened later was that I, I don't see pornography under, and I know this will sound very strange, I see sometimes pornography as... And there are many kinds of pornography, I know. But I don't see pornography under the same light I was seeing it, you know, in my earlier years. I think it has made things complicated for me because I I don't like pornography. And I think pornography is, you know, the, the exploitation of women, this type of thing that I grew up with. But at the same time, it's a place where I saw later in my life uh, many sexual acts of experimentation that I wanted to act I wish I would have seen it somewhere else I wish I could have associated it with something else mm-hmm. but that was the only source so the the acts the, the, the freedom the you know this type of thing of people to do whatever pleases them without complexes Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, you see it only in pornography. Mm. Under a very specific light, yeah. like you don't want to imitate them most of the times. 
Right. I don't know if I'm clear because that's a very strange line of thinking. I hear you. I hear you in that. I think that many of us can can agree that there's not enough sexual education out there that yeah. is truly free and shows, I think, women what pleasure can look like, yeah. but in an environment that has more health to it mm-hmm. yeah. than... I think education via pornography can also have a lot of unfortunate side effects. Yeah. And, and what happened is with the LGBTQ movement, in, inevitably it started also a movement in pornography where you could see also women and learn about your body. So there are now f- films and I don't know if you call it pornography or erotic movies or whatever mm-hmm. videos. But because it's not really pornography, but there was this genre of films or whatever images created from women to women mm-hmm. that allowed me to realize that things that I was associating with this hardcore pornography were actually not that, but they were just portrayed under a very patriarchal and you know macho light. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, which coming from a background where sex is all about power was probably really enlightening for you. Yeah. So when I was younger, I was saying sometimes that, you know, the only thing I could do out of all this pornography thing, I could become a dominatrix. (laughs) But but yeah, I was associating sex with power. I think it brings up a really interesting point, just, just this entire conversation about the education of sexuality in general. I think probably a good percentage of people have gotten their sexual education from pornography. Um, mm-hmm. And and like you said, because of the patriarchal themes and domination and all of that, like so much harm can be done. And it, it, it's, it is a complicated issue because in one hand, you're like, well, at least I'm getting an example of these ideas. But then it's coming through this lens, though, that has all these like super damaging themes and thoughts and like, oh, but it, I think what you're talking about here of education through pornography is extremely common and it's kind of the way of the world especially back then i don't even know if i should say that because currently still very much i think a lot of people receive their sexual education through that and i I don't know what's going to come up in the world to change that that's going to include these things of exploration and pleasure and all that and and the emotional investment in sexuality but oh my gosh, the world needs it, you know, like, because so many people are having the same experiences and just, it's not enough. It's not enough. We're, we're failing everybody in our sexual education. So sounds like around the world, not just here. <laughs> I wish I had seen my parents uh, kiss and hug mm-hmm. and, and close their door because they, there were no closed doors in my house. So hmm. only us teenagers were closing our doors. But I, hmm. I've never experienced intimacy among my parents. They were always okay with each other, but as, as if they were buddies, you know, and comrades, this, ty- this hmm. type of thing. Like they had hmm. a camaraderie and a collaboration with respect, if they, or, or even if they were fighting. But we didn't see passion and mm. intimacy. 
And I think that would be the best education. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What real intimacy in a marriage can look like. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people have had those type of models, but that would be beautiful. (laughs) So you alluded earlier to not being able to say what you wanted. And it took a long time before you could say what you wanted. Could you tell us a bit about that? And it sounds like now you've learned a little more about opening your mouth and sharing what your needs and desires are. Yeah. So in my marriage, I found the language, first of all, that was the common language with my husband, even of my body parts, because there are many words for female body parts and they don't all, some seem too much coming out of a biology book. So you cannot use them in, you know, in your daily speaking speech. And some uh, sound very vulgar. If you have a nice, you know, good upbringing, this type of thing. So you feel ashamed of naming your own body parts. Mm-hmm. So and, and there is no, there is no gray. It's like there is no middle ground. Like I cannot say my vulva immediately takes the discussion to a biology class, <laughs> you know, this type of thing. So you want to say things in the moment, but trying to say them, you you feel like you are becoming, you know, a vulgar person. Like it's not you. Hmm. So it was very hard, first of all, to decide on a vocabulary. So I'm hmm. I'm now using the word decide. We didn't actually decide. But I started using the words my husband was using. So I started liking his words. And since he was using them in the context of our marriage and it was a loving relationship, it meant they are not vulgar, even if Mm. some of them were vulgar in my own Mm. upbringing. Mm. Were were there certain words that were off limits to you? Did you establish any of that with him? No, but for example, I I will say it in English. I don't even know the nuances so well because for me it's a second language. But for for the Greek for in Greek for vagina, there are ten words. You know, there are five of them are scientific. The other five are pornography, completely. Mm. I don't know how the word pussy translates. Mm. Does it seem vulgar? I have no idea. <laughs> yes, generally it's yeah, generally yeah. I know the words, but I don't know how they sound. You know, because right. it's not language. Mm-hmm. But it would be if if they sound vulgar. There are these words in Greek as well. So, mm. so, but a couple of them, my husband was using, talking about his own body parts for his penis, for example. He was not calling it a name. <laughs> you know, he was calling it. But I don't know. For example, in English, if you say "dick," is it a bad word? Is it a vulgar word? I I don't know the. Yeah, <laughs> you sh- sometimes it's contextual. Yeah. But within a sexual context between two loving partners, mm-hmm. they need to also feel comfortable about the, the language. Yeah. So even that, to find out, to, to discover how my partner is using language so that we use a compatible language, okay? Right. If we want to be vulgar and extreme, we can be vulgar and extreme together because if one is and the other isn't, then you cannot talk. Like there are things that you might hear you during sex that you might want to laugh. You might be offended. 
So you want to avoid that. You might give the wrong impression, you know. So it took some time and this is how I did it. I was the younger partner. So I actually started feeling comfortable with what he was feeling comfortable. Mm. So I was following his lead and mm-hmm. calling my things, whatever he was calling them, you know, mm-hmm. because that, that became our language. Mm-hmm. And then slowly I started talking myself, you know, using my own language. Mm-hmm. And he had to adjust. Mm-hmm. So I was speaking a bit too bookishly for him. He was much mm-hmm. more, in his sexual language, he was more streetwise. Mm-hmm. Perhaps mm-hmm. because of pornography, I don't know. Because mm-hmm. boys enter sexuality through pornography. And in Greece at the time, through going to the prostitutes. Mm. So boys in Greece when I grew up uh, were taken to the prostitutes by their fathers. Mm. So their first sexual relationship was with a prostitute. So like were, a rite of passage? Yes. Like oh the, now he's grown up, he needs to go. It was also a way to um, ensure they will not become homosexuals. Wow. Oh, wow. And what age does that happen? Uh, about 14. Wow. Mm. Nowadays, this is a child. It's -hmm. considered a child. At that age, I remember this very vividly, like my fellow pupils having gone to the prostitutes and coming to school Mm. and bragging about it. Mm. Mm. Wow. How they were learning, this is the language they had. So this is how I became confident in speaking, first getting the vocabulary, and then... I was happy, lucky, because my husband was interested. Mm. So he wanted me to... And I was not interested in pretending at all. So Mm. at the same time. So Mm. we were experimenting together to find my pleasure. Mm. I love that you realized that. I love that you took that journey together and... Yeah, it, it's a hard thing to break free from those, from the shame and the, yeah, just yeah. to step out and be that vulnerable together. I'm curious, so you, so how many years ago were you married? What year was that? So we we started dating at 1989 and we got married in the millennium, 2000. Oh, okay, so you had a long relationship before you were married. Yeah, it was not exclusive, so we were breaking up, mm. getting back together, you know? Mm. Yeah, we had a long a long courtship. Okay, mm. and then... We not certain we want to get married, because the, the age difference was big, and I had to study in the meantime, etc., so we, we didn't make up our mind. Mm. Uh, so you've had a really long relationship total, a long marriage and a long courtship, and I'd love to know what that's been like over the length of time. Like, you know, things change. And how has your sexual relationship evolved over this really long period of time? So it started before we got married. It was passion. Like passion, passion. I, I cannot say it. Like this type of the thrill and passion and longing and, you know, this type of thing where, where you want to meet the other person and touch and, you know, experiment and everything they do, it feels like, wow, this type of thing. (laughs) And you want to wear underwear. So I I was buying underwear 
and sets of underwear, Chantel, and you know this. So I found out about myself how to do my boobies to look, you know, wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> so I I started exploring my own femininity through that. So the beginning was like this: when we got married, it was a very strange period because I my father died suddenly eleven days before my wedding, my wedding oh, day. Wow. So we had everything planned, and then my father had a massive stroke and died when he was at work. So wow. it was like, um, if I remember, our wedding day, I think all the relatives were just crying, not from happiness, mm. but I wish your oh. father was here, you know, this type of thing. Mm-hmm. And so it, it was a strange period, but it was a period where he really, he, he really was there for me as a person should be there for someone mm. in grief. Like he was there. And we discovered what it means to be supported mm. and you know to have someone just let you be and let you feel your grief and i got pregnant so we were we were having sex during that time but it was a, a different type of sex it was a um, let me hold you love you this type of sex mm-hmm. like i was becoming small in his arms this type of Mm-hmm. And I got pregnant very fast. So my first, my eldest was born in 2001. So one year later and one year and a half after him, my second. So it was one pregnancy after the other. And mm-hmm. the two kids very close together, diapers and all. And me feeling my body like breastfeeding, everything. No sexuality at all during this period. So mm-hmm. I banned sex. I didn't mm. feel at all. I felt I'm a mother now. So it took me like three, four years actually mm. to become available mm. because, because I didn't have it. First of all, I felt like my body existed for another purpose. Absolutely. Milk was coming out of my breast. It, it was not for him. Mm. My body existed for my children, period. And mm. for myself to sleep. Because I needed mm-hmm. sleep all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I started working again so quite fast. So I was I was tired. We were not having sex and we were discussing it because he started feeling resentful. Mm-hmm. And he started having this um, behavior like I'm not gonna plead, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna start asking you and keep having you refuse me, you know, this type of thing. Mm-hmm. And turning our backs in the bed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I was adamant. <laughs> I couldn't. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I was telling him, I don't know why I couldn't. I don't, I just mm-hmm. couldn't. And mm-hmm. I was telling him that, you know, with the time, relationships evolve. So I was using all my psychology study <laughs> background to really bullshit him. Because <laughs> I was telling him that there's the stages of love, you know. But that was a lie in reality. Mm. I, just, I just didn't feel aroused at all, mm. even mm. myself. So it, mm. it was not him, it was me. So the, finally I told him that I cannot even feel aroused, arouse myself. Mm-hmm. And, and that was a, a, a tough period for our mm-hmm. sexual life, but also for my own sexuality. Mm-hmm. I even started wondering whether I was getting into menopause too early. Mm. I, I really didn't feel sex was necessary in my life at all. Mm-hmm. I didn't find anybody attractive. 
So I, I wasn't attracted by any man. I was more attracted by women, but not sexually, just to to have company, to have friends, right. to go out, uh-huh. mm-hmm. to relax. Uh-huh. And my sexuality was awakened a little bit before, like some years before I started having menopause uh, mm. no symptoms. So I passed a period where I was like at a low and now I feel alive again for mm. the last five years. But mm. in the meantime, I don't know what my husband has been doing for sex. I never asked. Mm. You know what you need. <laughs> I didn't ask because I don't want to hear about mm-hmm. the answer. So, but I, I guess he, he must have been doing something. Mm. Yeah. So during children to about five years ago, I'm thinking this is a 10 to 15 year period. If I'm doing the math right. Yeah. With some intervals. I think it was, it was a good eight, nine years that I was asexual. Mm. abstinence wow but not really yeah not really but, but my body was not asking for it mm-hmm. 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 and when you say so you you didn't ask your husband do you assume he was fulfilling those needs and you just let him we did have contact but it was you know it, it didn't have like the joy and my, my body was not participating well. There was something wrong with my body. So there was a period that I went to have examinations my hormonal to examine my hormonal levels. Mm-hmm. I had a, a thing with my thyroid gland, so an immune... Actually, it's a syndrome um, of my thyroid. It could be an issue. I never really validated it. It was related. But I always felt like there's a biological basis to it because mm-hmm. I was just not aroused, really. Mm-hmm. And you had an idea that it wasn't just about your body. There was more that was going into it. It was a very stressful period at work at the same time. So mm-hmm. I had a lot at work. I, I was rising in the corporate hierarchy at the same mm-hmm. time. So it was very stressful at work. At the beginning, my husband was earning more. Then I started earning more and then mm-hmm. a lot more. So I think that also played, now that we are talking, I think that also played a part in our sexual life. Mm-hmm. Not to mention you had two kids you were raising while like climbing the corporate ladder. Yeah, It's just a little bit of stress. I mean, <laughs> juggling a couple things, you know? Yeah. I, w- I wasn't interested in sex in general. So, yeah. As much as I want to stay here and get every single detail... What I really want to fast forward to is kind of like, yeah, now, like where, where's your marriage at? Where, where are you as, as a sexual woman? And and what was that journey to get there? Now, my husband is in Athens. I'm in France. We meet during holidays. Mm. I have this camaraderie that my parents had. I don't, I don't have that much of a sexual desire. I, I, my body is aroused. I feel my sexuality. I enjoy it myself. I could enjoy it with my husband when we have time, you know, when we find each other. Mm-hmm. But it's not. We talk every day. We are so. I'm, I'm, I'm becoming like my parents a little bit. But mm-hmm. uh, I'm not sure. I, I'm, I'm certain I'm not getting ready to abandon the sport. 
I feel much more sexual than I felt when I was 35 or mm. you know 39 and I feel more beautiful and I feel more desired and everything. I don't know. I I love hearing this because your marriage hasn't changed your, your husband hasn't changed. Who he is hasn't changed. Your perspective of yourself and your needs have changed. And I think that's what's so powerful is that you can still have this dynamic with you and your husband that there's some things that you wish maybe were different or um, you have more space than you ideally want, but like you are learning how to love yourself and see yourself for who you are and learn what desire really is for you and appreciate your body for what it is, which I love hearing from someone who's over 50. I just want to like take a minute to celebrate that because that's huge. Coming from your first sexual experience where you wouldn't even turn the lights or your second sexual experience, we wouldn't turn turn the lights on to now feeling more beautiful than ever. Like, oh, it just makes me feel so emotional. I do. And I think now I have found out for myself that there's nothing more liberating in sex than to just not care about how you look. Mm-hmm. Like there is no, the sexiest thing for me is someone who loves the moment, who enjoys the mm-hmm. moment without, I was always like conscious of myself, not always, but for many years. I was self-conscious and, you know, even trying to see myself from the different corners, like how does mm-hmm. my belly do from the side, you know, these types of things. Mm-hmm. And now I feel completely liberated from that. Mm-hmm. I can take whatever position I want. I can do whatever I like. I don't care how, how I look. I just care how I feel in the moment. Mm-hmm. And I think this happens with age. Mm-hmm. So you don't give a fuck as you age. <laughs> I love that. I think that needs to be on a (laughs) t-shirt. That's so good. Valley, you are a gem and I love your story. And I think we all love hearing your story. There's so much hope, so much hope in it. And so much like assurance that we always have the power to move forward in whatever that we're given, wherever we are. I think it's, I think it's beautiful. (laughs) Absolutely. We loved hearing your story and thank you so, so, so much for sharing with us. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Not Tonight podcast. If today's story resonated with you, we invite you to continue the conversation by joining our free online community. Go to nottonight.org slash community to connect with other women just like you. We also greatly appreciate your support by subscribing to future episodes and please leave our podcast a five-star review. Until next time, keep doing the work in your sex life, whatever that looks like for you. 